You are now listening to the November 23rd broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Walking Our Talk, Grace Upon Grace, and Understanding Israel. First, let's begin with Walking Our Talk. Welcome to Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller. Join our conversation as we discuss practical ways to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life and help you walk your talk one step at a time. We can be tired and weary, emotionally distraught, but after spending time alone with God, we find that he injects into our bodies energy, power, and strength. That's a quote from Charles Stanley in Spending Time with God. And today, Polly and I are going to be talking about how we spend time with God and what it does for us. Hey, Polly. Hi, hon. So, uh, when you think back to years ago when you first started your walk with the Lord, did anybody tell you you needed to get some time alone Uh, with God. Oh, yeah. That was a very important part about being a new believer in Christ and learning what it meant to, to walk with him and to be his person. And I had never spent time alone with God before. I, my, Jewish background um, meant going to the synagogue and saying very kind of structured and formal prayers. And God was, I had a great respect for him, but he was very distant. To, so the concept of spending time alone with him was something brand new. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I had people that said you should have a quiet time. I didn't have no idea what that right, meant. Quiet time in capital letters, capital Q, capital T, quiet right. time. So then I finally <laughs> went to a seminar or something where it said how to have a quiet time. So you're supposed to get a time alone, Uh, in a certain place at a certain time, and you either read scripture, listen to music, but, I mean, after a while, I mean, I got the hang of it, Um, but one of the the hang-ups about getting time alone with God is sort of the pressure to perform and get something from him instead of just sort of coming and just going, Lord, I I just want to listen and be quiet and sort of empty my head of the noise. And that was one of the hardest things when I first started trying to get time alone with the the Lord. At least the person that told me just said, just spend 10 or 15 minutes. You don't have to do an hour or whatever. And um, but having knowing what to do and when to do it and then expecting results, there's this balance between What am I going to get out of it? And like I was telling somebody the other day, um, years into my walk with the Lord, and I was going to spend two days just trying to get with God and stuff. And I went up to this Camp Timberley. It was when we were in Wheaton, Illinois. And I went up there in the middle of winter. It was freezing cold. I was fasting. And so I got chills. and and, And the whole time I'm going, okay, God, you know, speak to me, speak to me. And I came back and you said, so how was that great time with God? And I went, 
It was terrible. I didn't hear anything from him. All I was cold and hungry and tired, and I just had nothing. So, oh, that's pretty. Do you funny. ever have times like that? Well, of course, but what I'm thinking is at the beginning. I hadn't even read all the way through the Bible. When I first became a believer, I I didn't even know the stories of the loaves and the fishes and <laughs> and Peter walking on the water with Jesus and those kinds of things that are just so basic to kids that grow up in Christian homes and have Sunday school classes where these stories are told. I had a lot of Old Testament stories because I knew a lot of things about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and uh, Moses, (laughs) Uh, but I didn't know the basic facts about Jesus and the disciples. And so I had to read all the Gospels and the epistles and those letters of of Paul to the church were were mysteries to me because I didn't understand the basic facts even for years about who he was talking to and what it meant. Right. And so, I mean, you're saying that you needed to get a foundation in the Word of God before you could really get time with God and hear him speak through his word. Well, yes. That I mean that was what I thought anyway. And there is there's a combination of that because if you're just looking for God to speak to you without knowing what his voice really sounds like, you, you can have a lot of vain imaginations. You can have mm-hmm. a lot of especially if you have an active imagination like I do, you can think as I did at one point that God is telling you that if you really have faith that that uh, he's not, you're not going to have to wear glasses anymore. So you can just leave your glasses out in the middle of the field. And if you really have faith, you can walk away and God's going to heal your eyes and you won't be nearsighted <laughs> anymore. I mean, that was the kind of misconception that I had about how God worked because I just didn't have the foundation in um, in his word and and so the understanding of how were there practical things that you started to learn in terms of how to spend time with God? I mean, I think there are times where you spend daily time with Him, where you know you take fifteen, twenty minutes, an hour, whatever. And then there are times where you get special times. I mean, it's a relationship. I think that's the key: is that it's a relationship. It's not just checking off a box on the list and. We can do rote prayers, or we can read Oswald Chambers, or we can read, uh, what's the other one, Jesus Calling, Calling. Right. Uh, which are all very, you know, nice starter points. But if we're just doing it out of habit and not really engaging, I remember talking with a guy and just saying, uh, one of my counselees, and just asked him, so when you get time with the Lord, are you hearing from him? And there was that silence. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, what are you talking about? I mean, I got my time with them and now I'm off to the next thing. And I'm going, but there are issues that you have with rebelliousness and authority. And are you reading scripture about that? So I think sometimes reading Paul's prayers or listening to or reading a story or listening to the story of Samuel was sleeping and he went to his father and said, 
I think I heard. He the went Lord. to Eli, the, I, the priest. Right. Yeah. And he, and he, you know, wondered, what should I do? And he said, next time, say, Hineni, here I, here am I. Yeah. You know, right. And do what he says. Mm-hmm. So the question is, are we getting connected with God? Are we listening? And then are we obeying? Because as we've said before, happy are those who obey his commandments. James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. And I know for some people, a quiet time is a noisy time. I had one pastor who said, I just turn up the worship music and I'm dancing and praising the Lord. and, And that's what gets him going. So you have different ways of getting into a time with the Lord. But I think some of the basics are you do need to have a place where you meet him. And for me, sometimes that was going to a hotel where I would sit out on this beautiful manicured lawn with flowers. And it just, I had no no responsibility to deal with any of the stuff that was out there. So it freed me up to get listening to God. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are other times where you just need a space in your house. Uh, We have a friend who ended up taking her garage up in the upper, she had an upper room, literal upper room that was (laughs) just dedicated to prayer. And so the routine of finding a place where, oh, that's where I meet with God can be very helpful. And then having a specific time, a specific place, and then what am I going to do? Because sometimes you just sit there and you go, okay, I'm here. What do I do? And for, you know, there, I think it moves in, in sort of waves that there are seasons where I just need to listen. And there are other seasons where I need some input from Oswald Chambers or one of the greats from the, from the past or even a contemporary. And we've read things like... Um, Dennis Rainey and his wife Barbara wrote uh, Couples Spending Time Together with God, and, and James Dobson wrote a book called Nightlight. These are devotions that help sort of give a scripture, a story, a prayer, and then give you like a question. So what's been most helpful for you in really tuning into the Lord? Because what I'm trying to do here uh, in this session is just give us some practical tools to how do we spend time with God? How do we connect with him? Well, over the years, I've gone through phases, too, depending on the the season of life. And as I said earlier, um, when I first started out, I just needed to gain Bible knowledge. So I would spend a lot of time in Bible study, so just studying. studying the Word, outlining Scripture, underlining important phrases and words, and looking things right. up. And, and you, have, you have a gift of knowledge, so to you, that really engages you. At the same time, how do you relate to God? Do you just relate to Him in study or... Right. Well, that yeah, that's uh, part of my point is that I would spend so much time learning about God that I didn't have a whole lot of time to just listen to what he was saying to me because I, I'm such a performance-oriented person that I, I was almost like attacking the Bible as if it were a university course. And <laughs> I, I have to learn this and I have to get an A mm-hmm. and I have to do it the right way. So and wh- when did you learn that it, it needs to be more than that or different than that? I think it, it took me a, a number of years. And part of what it took was understanding my identity in Christ, which is a 
a topic that we're going to address in yeah, another I think session. We can even do that in the next session. And uh, but learning uh, who I am in Christ and that I I have died to myself and that Christ lives in me gave me a freedom to not have to perform so much and to just receive more from God, to to welcome his presence and to, to hear more from him and to relax and mm-hmm. just enjoy who I am in him. And I had some of that head knowledge before from studying the word, but I didn't have the ability to apply it in my life. So in learning to apply it in my life, it gave me the opportunity to just be where I am and to um, write my feelings down. I I have volumes of journals (laughs) where I would write down. Well, and that's another thing, journaling. I mean, you're saying it like everyone does it, but there are times where it's easier to write things down and put them in a notebook. And some people go back and look over them. Many times you never go back and look over them. And so right. you have 20 years of journals and you're going, oh, it's the same thing over and over. <laughs> right, over and over. But it's not meant to be something that I'm going to pass along to my children. It, it was a way of processing what's going on in my life. Mm-hmm. And so my journals would contain a combination of wow, this is what's happening in my life right now. I just don't know what to make of this conversation that I had or this thing that, that's going on between Alan and me or how I'm dealing with my my babies, my toddlers, my children, my teenagers. <laughs> you know, where so it's a life way to process would, a your way, thoughts and feelings. And- right, and a lot of times it would be just pouring out my heart to God, which is really a lot of what David would do in, in That's his what Psalms. The Psalms are all about. And right, and say, Oh God, my my enemies are chasing after me or help me. I don't know what to do. How long, oh Lord, am I going to have to put up with this? And ultimately in the Psalms, David would end up coming back to, but you, oh God, are king. I will praise you endlessly, no matter what is happening in my life. And that's what I would see in my journals, too. If I, Every time I finished one, I would go back and read it from the beginning to the end, and then I, I put them away, and probably someday I'll just shred Throw them. them. Away. <laughs> <laughs> so in Psalm 32, David said, How blessed is he whose transgressions transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whom spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to thee, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. And sometimes just reading a scripture like that can help you get into a time with the Lord, thinking about applying this to yourself. Have I sinned, and am I covering it up? And and maybe that's why I'm all drained and tired and and uh, and then I acknowledge my sin to you, Lord. So I, I acknowledge my sin to you, Lord, that I have been willful in this area. So 
I think at times, you know, there may be worship that helps you get into your time with the Lord. There may be reading scripture, maybe just being silent. Um, but the, the point is that you get a time. It's sort of like dating your wife. I mean, so at the beginning, before you are married, you're really excited as a man to have this woman that's giving you attention and you want to do anything and everything and there are notes and candy and flowers and everything and then you the hunt is over you get married and then people are saying no the the, the thrill is gone you know (laughs) but the thrill takes passion it takes work it takes intention and i think the same is true of our relationship with god Right. Having a relationship with God is not just about studying the Bible. It's almost like, okay, we're going out on a date, and we're sitting there in a restaurant, and I'm reading to you a letter that you wrote to me, or I'm reading your biography. Look, somebody wrote this about you, and Here's when your birthday is. You're reading How to Have a Date. (laughs) Uh, One, sit in a booth and drink coffee. Right, right. So it's not mechanical. The idea of a quiet time is that it it will possibly include some Bible study or some time in the Word, but it's not the same as having an intensive Bible study and learning this is what the Word says. I'm going to look up all the Greek and uh, do all this research, that's that could be part of it. And it's a necessary underlining part of understanding who God is. But it's not the same thing as spending time with him and allowing his Holy Spirit to speak to you through and out of your your understanding of who he is as a result of knowing the word. So it's all these things, these bits and pieces that are kind of wrapped up together. And uh, yesterday, I listened to a podcast by Dr. Timothy Keller from Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. This is a podcast from 2014, so it's a few years ago. But he was talking about meditating on Scripture and how much time it takes to just sit in maybe one verse and allow that one verse to speak to you and thinking about all the aspects of what it has to say to you. And it just takes time, and it takes quieting your heart and thinking about what the truth of God's Word is really speaking to you. And the longer you sit there in quiet, the more opportunity you have for the Spirit of God to really speak to you. I think that's very uncomfortable for most of us in America because, or whether you're in Korea or wherever you are, I mean, we're just such a busy society and we have our iPhones and we have our uh, iCloud and we have our computers and that may be a very big discipline that you have to learn. Right, Right. And I just think sometimes just like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, to think about... Lord, what are all the things I want? And am I really satisfied in you? And uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. I I always think he makes me lie down because I won't lie down. (laughs) And so sometimes we need to learn to lie down in those pastures, even though we don't feel like it. And he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. The God of the universe wants to restore our soul And yet he can't restore it if we don't even recognize that we need 
to have Sabbath, to have time with him each day, each week, uh, maybe quarterly get uh, extended time away with him. That's right. If we don't get the quiet time with him, we don't have that opportunity to have quality time with him. So we're talking, this is walking our talk, and we're, uh, if you want more information, get some resources and stuff, please go to our website, walkandtalk, W-A-L-K-A-N-D-T-A-L-K dot org, O-R-G. And uh, we've been talking about how to spend time with God. R.A. Torrey, a preacher from another generation, said, we are too busy to pray, and so we're too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little. Many services, but few conversations. Much machinery, but few results. So that was from the 1900s, I believe. So, you know, this problem has been the same no matter wherever you are. The human condition is one of we want to be busy, we want to be Martha instead of Mary. So I'd encourage you, take time to spend with the Lord, not just in study, not just for what you can get, but just to listen to him and say, Lord, here am I. So this has been Walking Our Talk, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Actually, we won't see you. We'll probably hear you. Keep walking your talk. This has been Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller, where we put into action those principles we know from God's Word, one step at a time. You can find more help at our website, walkandtalk.org.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Malter of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is the nature of spiritual warfare. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill. Today, armor winning the battle. Again, this is based out of one chapter in the Bible, and that chapter is? Ephesians 6, 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can open there, and uh, we, I will have it up here on the screen as well. Well, there is an absolutely fascinating event recorded for us in the Old Testament that helps illustrate the reality of the spiritual world that exists all around us. Many of you are familiar with this event, but it surrounds one of the most famous prophets in the Bible, and that is the prophet Elisha. Remember, Elisha came after Elijah. That makes it kind of hard to remember because you have two guys, you have two amazing prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Elisha came after Elijah. Elisha was a prophet who lived around 850 years before the time of Christ. So go back 2,000 years and then go back another 850 and there you are at the time of Elisha. Now during Elisha's life, time and again, he proved to be a thorn in the flesh to the king of Syria. Okay, he was just an absolute thorn in the flesh. So every time the king of Syria moved against Israel, Elisha would go to the king of Israel and to the leaders of Israel and tell them exactly what they needed to do to protect themselves. So imagine every time you launched an offensive, it was perfectly, there was a perfect countermeasure. That would be frustrating. This, of course, proved to be completely frustrating to the king of Syria, so much so that the king of Syria thought that someone in his own camp was tipping off Elisha. He's like, who in the world favors Israel? Which one of you is doing this? The fact of the matter is nobody in his camp was tipping off Elisha. Well, who was tipping off Elisha? God. Yeah, it was God. God was the one that was telling Elisha exactly what he needed to know when he needed to know it. So, as a result, the king of Syria, out of his frustration, sends an army to kill Elisha. The army surrounds Elisha's camp, and they're ready to strike. But what happens next is truly incredible. Elisha's servant walks out early in the morning, if you're familiar with the story, and he sees that they are surrounded by the enemy, and he begins to panic. And it's in that moment that Elisha steps in, and he calms his servant down. And this is where the story picks up. So church, I present to you the word of God today. Second Kings will be in chapter six, uh, beginning in verse 15. This isn't our main text, so we're just gonna spend a moment here, but let me read God's word to you this morning. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Now, I just want you to note, it's an army with horses and chariots, okay? Just remember that. They had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? And the servant, the servant asked, do not be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots. Now, what are the difference between the horses and chariots that God sent versus the one that the Syrian king sent? Here's the difference. The hills were full of horses and chariots of fire, of fire. That's the difference all around Elisha. The eyes of Elisha's servant are open and he gets to see the true nature of what's happening in the spiritual realm. And folks, that's an incredible gift. I mean, think about what a gift that was in that moment. You're thinking, I'm about to die. And then all of a sudden you're like, we're about to destroy this army. You go from, we're gonna die to, we're gonna win. That's incredible. What a gift. The fact of the matter is, folks, there is no greater gift that God can give to us 
I'm outside of Christ, I'm just talking a gift. There's no greater gift that God can give us than when he opens our eyes to the true nature of what's happening in the spiritual realm. Having our eyes open to what's happening in the spiritual realm. Listen, it's one thing to have your eyes open to worldly matters, right? We've all been there where we're in a relationship or we're at work or we're in our neighborhood and suddenly we see clearly what we couldn't see before. And it's like, oh my gosh, why didn't I see this before? It was right before me. Listen, it's one thing to have your eyes open to to worldly matters. It's another thing altogether when our eyes are opened and we see the true nature of the spiritual world that is all around us. Now, personally, and I think many of you would agree with this, the spiritual world is infinitely more active than we give it credit for. Would you agree with that? Listen, from Genesis to Revelation, angelic and demonic forces are at work behind the scenes in one biblical account after another. Genesis chapter 3, Satan shows up on the scene. He deceives Adam and Eve. They fall. And then from there, all the way through Revelation, we see time and again, angelic and demonic forces behind the scenes fighting and working um, behind everything. The tendency, of course, of course, for most of us, especially those who are Western Christians, is to see much of what is happening in our daily life as just random happenings or coincidental, you know, coincidental things. Now, that was coincidental that happened today, or how random was that? Sometimes we chalk it up to good and bad luck, right? Listen, the good and bad luck that is happening in your life is not good and bad luck. God is working in your life. There are spiritual forces for and against you in your life. What is happening in your life is happening uh, not because of randomness, but because of what is happening according to God's design. You know, there's so many times where I'm just going throughout my days completely overlooking the fact that there is a spiritual world that is every bit as real as the world that we live in. And it's, it's amazing. I'll go days and weeks, and then all of a sudden something will happen, and it's like, oh my gosh, I forgot. I'm in a spiritual war. Has that ever happened to you? You're just going along in life and everything's happening and you're just kind of like, oh, this thing. And then you, you kind of forget about the spiritual world and then something happens and you're just like, oh my goodness, I forgot. I'm in a spiritual war. Now here's the deal. Even though we cannot see with our eyes what is happening in the spiritual world that is going on around us, at least not all the time, there are times in which I, I'm convinced that we run into angels, that angels manifest themselves in the physical and we run into them and we don't know that. We might be staring at an angel. Um, but, um, by and large, we don't get to see, always get to see what is happening in the spiritual realm. But here's the good news. The scripture gives us ample insight into what is actually happening. Okay. And here's the kicker in this. If you are a Christian, if you're a Christian and you have the scriptures, you know what is happening in the spiritual realm. Because the scriptures tell you, and that makes you a very rare person. Here's why. The world is full of people who are proclaiming what's happening in the spiritual realm. Um, Other religions, spiritists, mediums, everybody's proclaiming this is what's happening in the spiritual realm. Who's right? You want to know who's right? You are if you have based your understanding of what is happening in the spiritual realm off the scriptures. You are the one that knows truly out of 7 billion people on the planet, you and I are the ones that actually know what's happening. And that's truly incredible. That brings us to our text today, because it is in our text today that the Apostle Paul opens our eyes to the true nature of the battle that we are in. So church, here is our text today. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse... 10. There we got it. And uh, of course, the the part that's in white is what we looked at last week. We're going to pick up on verse 12 today. But church, I present to you again the word of God this morning. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Amen. I present to you again the word of God today. So in our passage, the Apostle Paul lays out for us one of the most important biblical principles you will ever learn as a Christian. Folks, you have to get this principle. It has to be a bedrock in your life. What is it? Here it is. Our greatest fight is not against the world we see, but against the world we don't see. Amen? Our greatest fight is not against the world we see, but against the world we don't see. To miss this has huge ramifications in the life of a believer. And perhaps one of the greatest ways this will affect you and me is that when we lose sight of this truth, you know what happens? We end up fighting the wrong fight with all the wrong weapons. We end up fighting the wrong fight with all the wrong weapons. And trust me when I tell you the last thing the church needs is for those of us who are truly born again to be fighting the wrong fight with all the wrong weapons. I say this all the time, and I'm going to say it again. If you are a true, genuine, born-again believer, then that makes you a very rare person, a very unique person, and a very important person. You are somebody that has been touched from God on high. He has taken out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. He has given you eyes to see and ears to hear. You are a very rare person. You might not be all that important by worldly standards, but if you are truly born again, then you are incredibly important by all other standards. Most importantly, spiritual standards. And one of the reasons you are so important is because you are now a soldier in the kingdom of God. And the last thing that we need is for those of us that are soldiers in the kingdom of God to be fighting the wrong fight with all the wrong weapons. That is the last thing we need. You are too valuable, too important to be fighting the wrong fight with all the wrong weapons. We live in a day and age, folks, where distractions abound. I kid you not, there's no other generation, and I can say this with confidence, there is no other generation that ever graced this planet that ever had more distractions than you and I do. We have a unique battle that no other generation had. The question is, will you and I get distracted? by peripheral, trivial, worldly issues. 2 Corinthians 10 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ or obedience to Christ. As believers, we cannot allow ourselves to lose sight of the true nature and the true battle that we are in. Folks, it is a spiritual battle that must be fought with spiritual weapons by believers who are covered in spiritual armor. That's it. It is a spiritual battle that must be fought with spiritual weapons by believers that are covered in spiritual armor daily. You are too valuable and too important to miss this. We need every believer strong in the Lord, standing their ground against the schemes of the devil. Once your eyes are open to the true nature of the war that you are in, you have taken a huge step in the right direction. The church has taken a huge step in the right direction. When the church keeps its eyes on the true nature of the war we are in, we will be a effective, we will be an effective church. We will be a dangerous church. We will be a powerful church. When we do this, we position ourselves to be people who are ready to stand their ground against the schemes of the devil. So, one of the most embarrassing situations in life is when you are dressed for the wrong occasion. Am I right? Has this ever happened to you? 
Yeah, it happens from time to time. And if, you know, you have dreams too where you show up and, you know, and it's like, ah, you know, and it's, I'm, I'm not dressed right. Um, you show up either underdressed or overdressed. This happens to us at all, you know, at different times in our lives. Um, oftentimes when you receive an invitation to an event, it will tell you how to dress, right? It'll be like, this is a black tie event. Or if it's a wedding, you kind of know how to dress for a wedding. Or other, other times it'll say it's business casual, Right. Um, when I invite people to this church, one of the first questions they always ask is, oh yeah, I'll come. How do I dress? How should I dress? Other times when we're not sure what to wear, what do we do? We call ahead. We ask people, we go, wait, how am I supposed to dress? We'll actually make a phone call. And it's like, I want to be dressed appropriately. Folks, it's in our passage today that we are told the true nature of the war we are in. And once you understand the true nature of the war we are in, you will know exactly what you need to be dressed in. You will know exactly what you need to put on. And in our case, folks, again, it is simple. It is a spiritual battle that must be fought with spiritual weapons by believers who are dressed and covered in spiritual armor. There is no excuse ever for a believer not to be appropriately dressed, spiritually speaking, because we know exactly, we're told exactly what we are to wear. It's when we lose sight of the true nature of the war that we are in that we fail to put on the armor of God. And you know what happens when you fail to put on the armor of God? The fiery darts of the enemy find their mark and they hurt. You know, you're, you wake up one day and it's like, phew. You turn around this way and you're like, phew. And then it's like, phew, 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 phew. And you look down and you're like, oh my goodness, what's happening? And you know what happens when those fiery darts hit? They hurt. They hurt. And they cause problems. He's, this dart might be he's accusing you. This dart might mean that he's causing division in your marriage. This dart might mean something else. I mean, he just fires his darts. And when they're finding their mark, they hurt and they cause problems. That is why we have to take our eyes. We as believers have to take our eyes off the petty things that are happening in this world and focus them on the true nature of the battle that we are in. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. Our country is very much at war, Right? And by that, I mean politically speaking. We are at war politically. I'm just curious, have many of you, some of you are older than me, um, have you ever seen a time in which we've been so divided politically in this country? Is this the most politically divided time in world history? Would you guys agree? How many? No, you, some, I trust Ani because you were vice mayor of Tempe, so you think it's been worse. But you would say it's pretty bad, right? It's pretty bad. We're in, it's pretty bad. Listen. It's very important that we as Christians be involved in what's happening politically in our country. We need to be Christians who vote. We need to pass, be Christians that are trying to pass good laws. And we definitely want to be working to support worthy candidates and get them elected. However, as important as that is, we as believers must never lose sight that there is an enemy and an even greater spiritual battle raging behind the scenes. When I wake up each morning and I'm careful to put on my political armor, because that's, I do, I'm kind of politically minded. I put on my political armor and I know you guys do too. You turn on the news to see what's happening politically. You go on your web to read what's happening politically. Maybe you go to Facebook to post something political, right? We get up in the morning and we're diligent in, about, in this day and age to put on our political armor, as you should. You should be politically minded Christians. But we can never forget that there's an even more important war out there. And there's more important armor to put on. That is the armor of God. Folks, if you are diligent about putting on your political armor, how much more diligent should we be to put on our spiritual armor? Amen? Amen. Folks, we can never forget the nature of the battle that we are in. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces 
of evil in the heavenly places. Your ultimate enemy is not in Washington, D.C., in the Kremlin, or in China, Beijing. Your ultimate enemy is a spiritual enemy that exists in the heavenly places. Amen. We do not need a church full of Christians who are missing in action from the most important battle in the history of the world. We want battle-tested believers covered in spiritual armor, engaged in ways that truly matter. We need you guys, we need all of us on the front lines, dressed in armor, standing our ground. So our text today is fascinating for many reasons. And one of the reasons it's so fascinating is, is it gives us insight into how Satan has structured his demonic forces. I don't know if you know that, but let's look at the text. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, you do believe that every jot and tittle in the Bible is put there by God, do you not? Yes, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, the infallibility of Scripture. Every word has been put there by God. We also believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. That's why we're so careful to preach God's Word. I say it, say it time and again. Most Christians believe in the infallibility and inerrancy of Scripture, but they do not believe in the sufficiency of God's Word. God's Word is what we base everything we do off of. So Paul put the word rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers there for a reason. This very much confirms what other passages in the Bible point to, and that being Satan has a well-organized infrastructure of evil and demonic forces working to destroy you and me. He has these set in place to cause maximum destruction. Dr. John MacArthur says this, the demonic categories are not explained, the ones we just looked at, but rulers no doubt reflects a higher order of demons. Powers another rank. And cosmic powers over this present darkness perhaps refers to demons who have infiltrated various political systems of the world, attempting to pattern them after Satan's realm of darkness. Folks, that is truly fascinating. Listen, as Americans, we like to believe that we are the number one superpower in all the world. Folks, we are not, it's not even close. We are not the number one superpower in all the world. We pale in comparison to the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is the number one superpower in this world. Well, really God's is, but you, you understand my point. Satan has an empire far more significant, far more deadly, far more dangerous than any world system here on earth. These forces don't exist in the natural world where they can be seen by the human eye. Rather, they exist, where does it say? In the heavenly places. In the heavenly places, again, your main enemy does not exist in Washington, D.C., the Kremlin, or Beijing. It exists. He exists in the heavenly places. These demonic powers in the heavenly places are certainly exerting their influence over worldly matters, infiltrating and influencing media, politics, entertainment, education, brace yourselves, and sports. You guys know I'm a sport. I love my sports. But what has Satan done to sports in the United States? He's made it a God. He's made it a religion is what he's done. So that we are more inclined to worship before our TV or before our athletes than we are before the Lord our God. And that's, by the way, not directed at you. Point your finger, three point back, right? They're pointing right at me. Infiltrating and influencing media, politics, entertainment, education, and yes, even religion. And we see this because denom entire denominations are falling by the wayside into liberal nonsense. 
a theology that's just, it's corrupt, it's demonic, it has nothing to do with biblical truth. Uh, we see this time and again. Of this you can be certain, every perverse, everything perverse in our society has a demonic enterprise behind it of some kind, on some level. And that is exactly why, as genuine believers, we can never forget the real nature of the fight that we are in. It is not against flesh and blood. It is against rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers over this present darkness. Folks, the people of this world who are your enemies, the godless politicians and people that are promoting godless social agendas, they are nothing more but pawns in the hands of the true puppet master, Satan. These people... Their eyes are blinded. They're, they're trapped in utter darkness. But you know what? There was a time when you and I were, our eyes couldn't see and our ears couldn't hear. And we were trapped in darkness. And that is why you pray for those in authority. You pray for those in the entertainment business. You pray for those in the sports business. Pray for God to do in their lives what God has done in your life. To deliver them from the dominion of darkness and transfer them into the kingdom of light. Amen? They're not our, your true enemy is not your true enemy. Your true enemy is not made of flesh and blood. Your true enemy is spiritual and he exists in the heavenly places. Notice, by the way, what the kingdom is described of as in our passage today. Against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Our fight is ultimately against the prince of darkness who rules over this present darkness. And I think we'd all agree this world can be a pretty dark place, don't you think? but you know who you are. You know who you are. The scriptures tell you who you are. You and I are those who have been born again. Those of us who have been born again have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. He, that is God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Why is that important? Here's why it's important. The last thing the church needs is for those of us who have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light to be fighting the wrong fight with all the wrong weapons. That is the last thing the church needs. And unfortunately, I think that's what's happening in this country is that there are so many things to be involved in. We have so much information. Never has a generation had access to the information that we have. We can know what's happening around the world literally in the minute, in the moment. Minute by minute, we can see what's happening in Benghazi or in, in Beijing or anywhere. At any time of the day, any time of night, we can be tapped into everything that's happening. But in that, there is an inherent danger, and it is this that we begin to think that our true enemy is made of flesh and blood when he is not or she is not. Our true enemy is a spiritual, demonic being who exists in the heavenly realms. It is the prince of darkness who rules over this present darkness. Do I hear an amen? Folks, do not lose sight of that. Do not lose sight of that. As important as your political armor is, there is armor that is far more significant. That is your spiritual armor. You put that on every day, every day. What does this mean? It means that we cannot be distracted. Again, folks, it's a spiritual battle that must be fought with spiritual weapons by believers covered in spiritual armor. And that is why, folks, the local church is so important. Listen, today is our ministry fair. It is an opportunity for you to go over and see all that is happening. You know what the ministry fair is over there across the way? It's a war room. That's what it is. It is a war room. Your staff has worked very diligently to set up their ministries to show you what's going on so that at bare minimum, you can pray for them. But I want to encourage everybody to walk over today. Listen, folks, life is short. The opportunities to get involved and make a difference are few and precious. They won't be around forever. The local church, the local gathering of saints is the most significant organization on the face of the planet. And guess what? You're in it. You are in it. Take a look around, folks. This is right here, the most significant organization in the history of the world. It is not 
in Washington, D.C. It is not the FBI. It is not the CIA. It is not some other organization in some other country. It is not a company like Google or Microsoft. The most significant organization in the world is right here, and you are in it. Make it a priority today to stop by the community center. See all that is happening. You might be surprised at what you find. Listen, if you are a believer here today and you've been consumed with everything worldly and nothing eternal, then today is the day to change that. Today is the day to reorient your life and get your life focused and your mind focused on things that are above. Set your heart and mind on things above, not on things on earth. Where Christ is seated at the right hand, that's what it says in the book of Colossians. Set your heart and mind on things above. Listen, I know many of you guys have things to do and we're gonna scatter to the winds here in just a moment. But I'd ask you to do me a personal favor. Walk over to that ministry fair and encourage the staff that have put their heart into this. Let them, give them an attaboy or an girl and say, thank you for what you're doing. Look at what they're doing. Take your cards over there because we're giving uh, prizes away. Get your cards stamped. But go over there and see what God is doing. That is our war room. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come before you. And God, we are reminded again of the true nature of the war that we are in. And may we be Christians, Father, who are in the right spiritual battle, fighting the right war with the right weapons, wearing the right armor. God, we thank you for the opportunity. God, keep our eyes and our ears ever awake and ever attentive to the fact that there is a spiritual war happening all around us. I pray for anyone in here right now, God, who has been under attack, who is dealing with the midst of the war in a very real way. May they find comfort today. May they find peace today and hope today. God, we love you. We thank you. We commit our time to you in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you.
Listening to Unity in Christ, the English Hour in our broadcast program. Here at Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, we strive to connect our listeners to engage with a community of believers as one body under Christ. Since 2000, we have dedicated our lives to make disciples of all nations through radio broadcasting. We are always encouraged to hear from you, so if you have any comments or testimonies that you would like to share, please feel free to email us at askhsgm at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Heart and Soul Podcasts on iTunes for weekly sermons. To learn more, visit heartandsoul.org. Coming up next is Understanding Israel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another program in our series, Understanding Israel. I am your host, Susan Holtgrew. Today, we will be studying the last feast that God commanded the Israelites to observe. In Hebrew, it is called Sukkot, but we know it as the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. This feast takes place on the 15th of the Hebrew lunar calendar month, Tishri, or, for us, it is around the end of September to the first part of October. 
As we have traveled with the Israelites out of Egypt and remembering that journey with the Passover feast and the subsequent events that led to the celebrating and remembering of the feasts we have previously studied, we now find in Exodus chapter 25 through chapter 31 the building of the tabernacle or tent of meeting. In these chapters, God tells Moses how the Ark of the Covenant was to be built and carried as they traveled, as well as the seven pieces of furniture that was to be placed in the tabernacle, and how they were to be built and carried whenever the Israelites moved. God speaks to Moses about the garments for the priests, their consecration, and the food the priests can and cannot eat, as well as the incense and anointing oil that was to be used. All of this ends with verse 18 of chapter 31, where we read, When he, God, had finished speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written by the finger of God. Now let's skip to chapter 36, where the construction of the tabernacle begins, and in chapter 40, the work is completed in verse 33. In verses 34 through 38, we read, Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, Then they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel. In Leviticus chapter 23, God is speaking with Moses about the holy convocation of the Day of Atonement, and in verses 34 through 44, God says, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth of this seventh month is the Feast of Booths, for seven days to the Lord. On the first day is a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work of any kind. For seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly." you shall do no laborious work. These are the appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations, to present offerings by fire to the Lord, burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each day's matter on its own day, besides those of the Sabbaths of the Lord, and besides your gifts, and besides all your votive and free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. On exactly the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days, with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Now on the first day you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall thus celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall live in booths for seven days. 
All the native born in Israel shall live in booths, so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This feast was to remind the Israelites of God's provision for them and the tents or booths that their ancestors lived in during their time in the wilderness. Hundreds of years later, when Solomon built the first temple, men journeyed from all over the land of Israel to keep this feast in Jerusalem. It is interesting to note that when King Solomon dedicated the first temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, it was during the time of the Feast of Booths. It is also interesting to note that during this feast, Ezra read from the word of God to the Israelites after the second temple had been rebuilt in Nehemiah chapter 8, and there was such a revival that the people confessed their sins and repented them. Also during this feast, John writes in chapter 7 verses 37 through 38, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. During Jesus' time, when he cried out with that statement, thousands of Jewish males were in and around the city of Jerusalem, all living in temporary shelters or booths for the eight-day celebration, bringing their tithes and offerings to the temple of the Lord. Can you imagine, during that eight-day period, so many sacrifices were done that all 24 divisions of priests needed to be present to assist with all the sacrificial duties? In John chapter 1, verse 14, John writes, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word John chose to speak of Jesus dwelling among us is the word tabernacle, which simply means to dwell in a tent. Some believe it is very likely that John intentionally used this word to associate the first coming of Christ with the Feast of Tabernacles. Christ came in the flesh to dwell among us for a temporary time when he was born in the manger, and he is coming again to dwell among us as Lord of Lords. While it cannot be established with certainty that Jesus was born during the Feast of Tabernacles, some believe there is a strong possibility the Feast of Tabernacles not only looks forward to his second coming, but also reflects back on his first coming. In conclusion, the author from the website gotquestions.org states, The Feast of Tabernacles begins and ends with a special Sabbath day of rest. During the days of the feast, all native Israelites were to dwell in booths to remind them that God delivered them out of the land of Egypt and to look forward to the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would deliver his people from the bondage of sin. This feast, like all the feasts of Israel, consistently reminded the Jews and should remind Christians as well that God has promised to deliver his people from the bondage of sin and deliver them from their enemies. Part of God's deliverance for the Israelites was his provision and protection of them for the 40 years they wandered in the wilderness, cut off from the promised land. The same holds true for Christians today. 
God protects us and provides for us as we go through life in the wilderness of this world. While our hearts long for the promised land, heaven, and to be in the presence of God, he preserves us in this world as we await the world to come and the redemption that will come when Jesus Christ returns again to tabernacle or dwell among us in bodily form. We all long for that day, amen? Until then, keep looking up. Your redemption draws near. God bless you all, and goodbye.
We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week. 